The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special installment of Barron's Live, an Investor's Business Daily installment. It's Ali Corm and Scott St. Clair here from the IBD team. And today we're going to be talking about how to find the next big winners using historical precedents. So we're going to be taking a look at three mega winners of the past and talk about all of the different factors that led to their success, the fundamentals, the technicals, and answering your questions about that as well. So Scott, thank you for joining me. First, to kick things off, before we take a look at these examples, why do you think it's important to study winners of the past? Hi, good morning or good afternoon, Allie, depending on where you are. I know we're on the opposite ends. Um, <laughs> it's, well, history tends to repeat itself in the stock market. I think Mark Twain is, whether he said it or not, I don't know, but famously said, you know, history uh, doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Mm -hmm. So you want to find, you know, wh what were the characteristics of previous big winners? And uh, no surprise, if you've studied stock market history, they, they all look the same pretty much in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And um, I'm going to guess 100 years from now, it'll, it'll be the same thing as long as capitalism still exists. The earnings, sales, uh, group strength, et cetera. And I'm sure we'll we'll dig mm -hmm. deep into, you know, what makes these stocks go up. Exactly. Yeah, there's there's a number of different factors that we look at, but uh, time and again, we've shown that uh, that rhyme or that repeat of history. So in order to find the next winners, you know, in the current market and in future market cycles, there are some key things to look for. So we're gonna be able to get really concrete and you know what are these factors and to be able to distill that for folks out there. So let's get started. And the first one we wanna take a look at is Home Depot. And this is a run that it made in the early 90s, Scott. So I'm gonna share a weekly chart here on MarketSmith. So let's talk about this move. I mean, it was, it was a huge move from the breakout of this cup with handle in early 1991, uh, right around uh, $14, ultimately peaking above 50 just a year and a half or two years later. I mean, that was a huge, huge move. Yeah. And if you add the index line, Allie, I'm sorry, I should have had you add it before, but if you add the index line, you'll see there, and it's not drawn to scale, but there was a, and this is the S&P 500 across the top. But that was a bear market, uh, 90, 1990, 1991. Uh, you had a, a bear market. And what do the leading stocks do in bear markets? They, they go sideways to down. They just, you know, they're going to, they can't go straight up. So there's value in market corrections, bear markets, because it allows the best stocks to go sideways and build these bases. Uh, one, two, allows you to identify it. And three, allows you to enter. If they all just stair-stepped higher and higher and higher, it'd be very difficult for us to enter them based on these patterns. And Costco and Microsoft and Home Depot, and there's probably plenty of others that, that maybe don't exist any longer, 
had almost the exact same pattern like this. They almost all broke out in the, in the same time frame. So you have the setup technically, which is step one. And then step two is fundamentals. You know, now in hindsight, it seems so easy, right? We go back and well, Home Depot, right? Or, you know, Home Depot might've had 50 stores across uh, the Southern United States at this time. Now they've got 5,000 or whatever across America. So it, it wasn't that obvious to everyone. If you didn't live in Georgia or Florida, you might not have known about Home Depot. But if you were doing the research, looking for technical setups, relative strength, earnings. Now in December 89, the quarterly earnings uh, for Home Depot were up 50% on revenues up 37%. Uh, that was in 89 in the, in, and I'm just going to go very quickly, 55, 36, the next quarter, 40, 37, 53, 41, 33, 34. So those were the five quarterly earnings, uh, that they were reported before the breakout. So you didn't have to anticipate, oh, what, you know, is it going to, are they going to beat the street or anything like that right yeah, there? Were yeah. In black really and white are huge quarterly earnings and sales. So you have that factor, which, so you've got both factors that would have put this stock uh, on your radar at that time. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, I mean, talking about the setup, setting up during a bear market, the other thing that it was doing as it broke out, uh, the volume was behind the move. It had above average volume and that relative strength line was at a new high. So this was outperforming the S&P as well during that time. So that seems also like a critical ingredient. I uh, wholeheartedly agree. It's my favorite indicator. It's it, it's a basketball being held underwater, right? It's a stock that probably wouldn't have gone down like it did or built that large base like it did without the help. In other in other words, in this case, the reverse help of the market holding that holding that down. So yeah, if you if you do anything in a bear market, you really want to see uh, all the stocks with RS line new highs. Mm -hmm. So maybe uh, something translatable to today so we can, you know, keep that in our uh, toolbox when we're when we're screening for stocks today, uh, because we've seen a lot of stocks getting hit hard and, and some of them now have been forming early stage bases and, and breaking out. Maybe we'll take a look at a couple of current examples uh, a little bit later, but to flesh out this example with Home Depot. Okay, so we have the five quarters of strong top and bottom line growth. We have this setup, we have the price out performance. Okay, so say we've got all that. Now what, Scott? How do we handle this big winner? So that, that's the hardest part, right? It's uh, buying is easy, I'll tell you. You can buy anything. It's pretty easy, but once you're in, you know, you've got a, a, a bunch of different factors on holding on to them. Um, if you're more of a shorter term swing trader, I would say use that, that red or pink line on the chart here, which is a 10 week line and, and look for, um, a close, maybe even, um, a significant close, like not just a couple of pennies below, but a close on volume, um, below that line, that would be your, your kind of, um, shorter term swing trader-ish type sell signal. If you just hate to sell them like some people do and you're looking for the next Microsoft, the next Google or the next Home Depot, which turned out to be Home Depot was the next Home Depot, <laughs> then maybe use the 40 week line, which is the darker black line. Um, and you can see it held this one for a long, long time before closing below that. 
there is no perfect answer. If you if you use the red line, you, uh, you'll probably you'll get a better price, possibly than the um, than the the forty week, uh, in the short in the shorter term. But maybe the forty week keeps you in for a much much longer move. My experience is in the end, eventually, no matter how great they are, Apple, Home Depot, it doesn't matter. They're all going to break that forty week line, you know, eventually. And that probably would be your sell signal, but it doesn't mean you have to give up on it. You can always wait for another base, wait for yeah. another bear market and, and reconsider the stock. Exactly. So uh, traders may have sold when it, uh, after it went on this move from January 91 to the short-term peak in January 92. Then it formed a base for the next six months. So, I mean, that's the other thing, you know, a trade like this potentially could wear you out if, if you make a big move higher over a year and then go sideways for, for six months. Yeah, it would that? wear me out for sure, uh, unfortunately. But yeah, it's, and in that time, in, in the, the 92 period, there might be XYZ where you want to have um, you know your capital working in that. Uh, or, you know, maybe you sell some of it. That's another, you know, right. you don't have to, to make all or none decisions. I know it's a lot of people have, it's very difficult to, to part with a winner. Uh, so, you know, if you had a thousand shares, maybe you sell a hundred when it breaks the, the 50 and you sell three or 400 when it breaks the, the 40 week. And then you, you, you know, you just keep a little bit. If you keep a little bit, I find it's always easier to add to something you already own than it is to, right. to buy it new. Um, that's, that's a possibility. In the end, you have to make this your own. We all have personalities and the key will be understand your personality and, and, you know, make a process accordingly. So I know that for myself, I would get worn out in that long, long base. And so I'm better off taking the, the, the red, you know, sell signal, the 10 week line, or, you know, honestly, even sooner, you know, if I were to, I wasn't trading in 1991, but I can tell you, <laughs> I would have sold Home Depot much sooner uh, than that on the way up. Yeah. But, uh, and there will be a, a bit of a theme as we look at some of these other winners, just as you mentioned, riding that 10 week, just look how it found support there multiple times along this strong move. So even just catching the the bulk of that, uh, you don't have to get in right at the bottom and sell right at the top to have really, really successful trades in the market. I agree. I'm going to go with a Bill O'Neill story because I always like Bill O'Neill stories at, 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 a, a, at a master's workshop somebody was mentioning let's let's stock like home depot that had made a really big move it went this one went from uh roughly now i'm looking at this chart before the split so 26 to about 70 on the chart i'm looking at and a gentleman in the audience said well you know bill what about that point you know that's a sell signal and you know at, at let's say 65 and you know how would you handle that and, and you know I, you, how would you why would you ignore that sell signal and bill said well maybe you do sell it there you know but wouldn't that be a shame if you bought it at 26 and sold it at 65. so you, you get over being perfect you're never going to get these perfect and for every home depot there's nine others that go up a lot and give them all back right so you know you have to understand that these are these are the the best of the best these are needles in a haystack 
So you're, you're not going to find these types of stocks that often, you know, maybe one in 40 or 50 trades. So you, so you have to understand that, am I, am I going to try to capture this really amazing Home Depot or Google, but psychologically there's going to be 20 others that you should have sold somewhere mm -hmm. along the way because they're going to, they're going to round trip, so to speak. That's a really great point. And we did get a question from someone in the audience before the show started, David, he's saying, if you have a stock that you own that increases 20%, should you consider going for that uh, bigger move or just take that quick 20% gain? What would be the difference for you, Scott? Is it just a, a stock that shows that elite, uh, those elite fundamentals, the strong price outperformance, what is it that's going to make it uh, something that we should try to hold for a bigger move versus just take our 20% our if we're lucky and get out of there? I would say, how fast did it move the 20%? Because if it moved pretty fast, that's a pretty good sign that there's power there. If it took six months to go up 20%, mm -hmm. you know, then it's probably a, a sell. So that's one clue you can use. Uh, how well do you know the company? You know, is it a product or service that's uh, changing the way we work, live, or play? Like Bill would would say, that would that would influence me too. If it's X Y Z Pharmaceuticals and I know nothing about, you know, what they're doing, then it, to me it's probably going to be a a, short, a sell if I were to you know make that twenty twenty five percent. It this is very hard to know. It's it's always in hindsight, like I said, it's easy to know oh, it's Home Depot, but um, I would say that depending on the style of trader you are, you want to try to hit a home run every once in a while, whether it's, you know, every 10 trades or every four trades, I'm more taking profits. I'm more of a singles doubles hitter. And every once in a while I say, oh, this has the characteristics. Look at those earnings and sales. Fidelity Contra has a big position in that they just started. I think I'm going to keep this one, but that's probably like one in 10 for me. Uh, whereas for other people, it might be, you know, one in five or one in three, but have some type of process for that to try to identify. I think this could be a big winner. I'm going to give this one more room and understand that you're not going to you're not going to guess right every time some of those that you give try to give more room will uh, you know come all the way back right and i just want to add a little bit more context for those who aren't familiar bill o'neill that's IUBD's founder, a very successful investor, wrote the book, How to Make Money in Stocks, and uh, you know, discovered and, and distilled a lot of the rules and strategies that we use today, uh, given the success that he had in the market and finding and holding on to these mega winners. And then also you mentioned Fidelity Contra Fund. So uh, a big fund there that you and others on staff follow. We got a question from Kevin. Uh, he said he hopes our discussion includes uh, some commentary on that institutional sponsorship and how important that is when it comes to these big winners. You touched on it a little bit. Could you just tease out that point a bit? For sure. If, if I was identifying this stock in real time now, currently it's, it's a newer name. Um, you know, we, our product, Marcus Smith will, will give you mutual fund ownership by opening up that related information panel. But 
I'm going to dig into the weeds. There's a handful of, of mutual funds that I really like to follow that have had a tremendous track record of, of having owned, you know, Salesforce and Costco and Google and et cetera. And so I, I really want to track and see are, are, are those funds taking or, or maintaining positions in the stocks that I'm considering? Because they're going to, to move the stock for Fidelity Contra to, to get like a, you know, a meaningful position in the stock, it's going to take weeks to months for them to, to buy the stock. Yeah. And they, like on Home Depot on that breakout, I can own my position in, you know, a matter of uh, seconds personally, if uh, Contra wanted to own that fund, uh, I'm sorry, that stock at that moment, uh, it's going to take all those blue bars. Who do you think is, buying that stock all the way up gradually accumulating it is is those funds that want a position and they're just constantly kind of what i would call on the bid in other words they're buyers of the stock continuously now they don't want to go in there and give a a market order to buy three million shares and jam the <laughs> stock up on themselves so they're going to try to be as discreet as possible and just be consistent buyers every day every week accumulating position. And, and that's how you get that trend that occurs with a stock like this. Mm -hmm. A great lesson there. Okay. Well, let's move on to our other model book stock that we want to take a look at. And you mentioned it, Microsoft, which uh, we're going to take a look at a move in a, sort of a similar time period here in the late 80s and early 90s. And it, it broke out around the same time. It didn't trade quite the same, but Scott, talk to us about what we're not only seeing on the chart, but what the fundamentals looked like in the lead up to this breakout. So in the, the I've got six quarters of earnings and sales just to emphasize how incredible the fundamentals were. But in March 90, the earnings were up 71% and the sales were up 58% for that quarter. And then you have, 59, 53, 57, 57, 45, 53, 59, 57, 72, 56. Those are all incredible, huge numbers. Imagine you owned a small business, uh, Lemonade's down, down the street, and your earnings were up 45, 59, 71% quarter over quarter, you know, annualized. Not only that, but the, the ROE from 1988 to 1991 was uh, anywhere from 36 to 40. So the return on equity from Microsoft was high 30s to low 40s in that three-year time span. This was all before the breakout, right? Now, the stock had already made a big move before this breakout. You can't quite see it on this chart, but- I'll you know, zoom out a little bit. There we go. Yeah. So you have the way on the left, you have the 87 crash. You can see the stock got hit really hard right there. And then- the market came back and you, you have a, a rally. I'm looking, the stock went from roughly 18 to 50 before it built this whole new base. And that's another clue is, is has the stock shown prior strength? Uh, how, how many times has Microsoft or Apple or Home Depot or Google doubled or Walmart? They double and then they double again, and then they double again. And you know, it's because these companies don't stop. Like the stock doubles and they don't just say, okay, let's turn out the lights. We've, right. we've, we've doubled our business, time to go home. They just keep going and going. And if they're doing something special, 
it, it just occurs over and over. Now, it is rare. It's not, you know, it's, it's a needle in the haystack, so to speak, but they're out there mm -hmm. and the clues are, are, are there for us to see if we're willing to, you know, listen to the market. You have the technical setup on Microsoft is almost exactly the same as Home Depot. You mentioned RS line, new high, bingo, coming out of a cup with handle, bear market previously, and then all the fundamentals mm -hmm. there, um, it, uh, you know, in the rear view mirror. Right. And it, it shot up for, you know, one, two, three, four, five or six weeks in a row. Uh, when it broke out, it was around $34. And then in that quick clip, like you mentioned, uh, if, how fast can it move up? It went all the way up to about 48 in just a short time period. But then this one went sideways a little bit and had a number of weeks where it did close below the 10 week line. So, so this one also uh, would have been tricky to just hold unless you did pivot uh, to seeing if it got support at the 40 week line. But at that point, I mean, you're giving up what half of that initial move. So then uh, should traders use what you were talking about where it's trading around that position, right? So maybe you're, you're selling a little bit, you're buying back, so maybe you wait until it can get to new highs again, this breakout that happened in August of 91 to build back up that position. I think so, because you, you don't want to put so much pressure on yourself. Let's say you 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 put 25,000 into Microsoft and then it doubles and now it's 50. Uh, the the math is cruel. If it goes down 33 percent, you know, you've. It, which is, I think that base is that base is twenty one percent, which is not that bad for a high uh, beta stock like Microsoft. But a lot of base stocks will go down twenty five, thirty percent when they build a base. So mm -hmm. you're 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 giving up a tremendous amount of the gains. And and yes, it came back, but some of them don't. And psychologically, it's difficult to manage that. So if you take a little bit off, you can. You can survive that pullback. And then if it comes back mm -hmm. and it sets up again, like for this cup that Microsoft broke out of right there, if I sold it, I would just buy it back. It, it doesn't matter to me that the stock is higher than where I sold it. That's 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 uh, gobbledygook, to be honest yeah. with you. Because the probabilities have improved. Again. It's a brand new yeah. trade. Pretend it's it's another stock instead of Microsoft, it's Macrosoft. You know, they're the, they're the large software company versus the small one. And it's a whole new company and you yeah. just buy it right there. Uh, so that's how I, I would, you know, handle that is it's just, if I think it's a sell, I'm going to sell it. And then, and if I think it's a buy, regardless of what I've done in the past, I'm going to buy it, re-enter that. So in Microsoft's case, you know, I don't know, I haven't looked at it, but I would imagine if you fast forward it all the way to the 2000 top, you, you might've bought and sold Microsoft a dozen times. And you might have been wrong four or five times, but the times you were right were, were so large compared to the times you were wrong. You might make 30% when you're right and lose five or six when you're wrong. And so you you just it's a it's a loaded coin in your favor. You just yeah. keep you just keep doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, looking for those proper entries, focusing on stocks that are uh, not only outperforming in the market, but just have those stellar businesses and they're showing growth quarter after quarter after quarter that's what we uh, want to be focused on those uh, those elite stocks in the market
And then we also want to take a look at FSLR. This is first solar and I'm going to, I'm going to zoom back in here and then I'm also going to change the date uh, because this was in a different time frame. So for here, we're looking at the first IPO move from late uh, 2006 and then it topped in mid 2008 before, of course, uh, the, the financial crisis. But this first move, uh, you know, its first week of trade, it was trading in the low 20s. Um, and that was, uh, again, in late 2006. And then when it peaked in mid 2008, it traded as high as 317. So that's an incredible, incredible move uh, that traders could have participated in. Yes, and this is one where that I was trading very actively in this time frame, and I was in for solar. Now, unfortunately, I have the old, you know, the big one, big fish that got away story. Uh, you can see that large bar in February where it, it uh, you know, on the weekly chart where it really moved. Uh, I can't remember if it was an earnings report or if it was a pre-announcement, but you know the the stock gapped up like 27% on the earnings or the guidance. You know, in other words, our earnings are going to be really good. And I was in the stock, and it was up 27% in one fell swoop. And you know, I lost my mind for half a second and sold it all because you know it was a big day. Well, that was just the beginning of the move, as you can see on on the weekly chart. So. It goes to that uh, the question about you know if it's up twenty percent do you take it? Why? Well, what 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 did I say about my rule? Right? How, How fast quick? did it move? What were the earnings and sales at the time? They were uh, in September '06. Earnings were up two hundred percent. Revenue was was up one hundred forty six percent. In December '06, earnings were up two hundred twenty percent. Revenue was up two hundred and eighty eight percent. So it's in their infancy, and then they go public and they get this money to try to really expand their business. So I, I, I didn't know what I owned, unfortunately. And so it really Much started wiser to now, aren't you, Scott? I, I am wiser. I don't know if that changes uh, <laughs> the process, but I, but yes, you, you know, unfortunately you have to kind of learn yeah. um, from your mistakes and, and try not to make them, you know, too often. I, I think we all kind of make the same mistakes uh, over and over, but the, the best traders make them over and over a lot less frequent than, yep. than most others. But then it okay. built another um, base and broke out through around 100. And this is where you have to kind of set your ego aside and, and say, you know, I, I made a mistake. I sold it at 40 or whatever that number was. Stocks breaking out through a base at 120. And at that moment, the earnings, the last two quarters, or let's just say the earnings, the quarter before was up 275% and the revenue was up 177%. So you still have that tremendous earnings and revenue growth. And, and that's, that's a buy. Yeah. And right the RS line is crushing super, it. super strong. You can see on, as it built that base, there's a really bad week in the middle of the base. So this is and another on good January point too. Yeah, and on January 23rd of 2006, it, it traded its biggest volume ever. So it had a really big volume down day, but by the end of the day, the stock had closed in the upper range. Um, so it, it looked like uh, support on that week and especially the following couple of weeks when it mm -hmm. starts to come back and you have blue week, blue week, blue week. 
And so that's a real good clue that that was a shakeout and um, you have a chance for the stock uh, to, to make another leg up. Mm -hmm. And then, so then this breakout was around 108 and then it went up to 283. So definitely more than doubling and then broke the 10 week line sharply in January of 2008. So that seems like a, a pretty clear sell signal there. I think so. I mean, that week, the stock was down 20% for the week and uh, the volume was the highest it's ever traded that week. So you can see the distribution. Now, this is where it gets really hard is if you're waiting for these sell signals, remember, you're going to get these sell signals a lot lower than where the stock was previously. So the stock topped around 280, I think you said. Uh, 283. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your mm -hmm. sell signal is, uh, in the two twenties, two tens, two hundreds. So you have to kind of forget about, you know, all oh, the, I, gosh, I wish I had sold it at 265 or 270 or 280. Right. Uh, you bought it at a hundred, the sell signals at 200, you, you know, you doubled your money. Mm -hmm. Um, it's time to go, uh, and look for the next one. Right. And uh, as you said, you know, you're you're a swing trader. You like locking in profits into strength. So you don't always have to wait for a defensive sell signal. Again, you, you said it's not an all or none decision. So maybe, uh, you know, a couple of weeks prior, the big week where it was up 40 percent in a single week. I mean, that seems like a gift to lock some in into strength. I can't recall how I sold this, Allie, but I promise you, if I was in the stock still at that moment, I was a seller into that week. And I find it, I think it's sort of amusing that I, I'm guessing that let's say I got out at 200 into that week on mm -hmm. the way up and um, Bessie on this call, she owned first solar and she's a seller on defense, right? Like we've talked about. And when did I say I the sell signal came? She got 200 as well. So we both got the same price. Let's, we both paid hundred. We both sold at 200. And, but it's psychologically a much different trade. So for me, I had to live with the regret of, of selling at 200 and watching it go to 280. And she would have to live with the regret of having had it at 280, not selling it and selling it at 200. And you have to say to yourself, I think it's an important, very, very important um, uh, personal test. Yeah. Which are you, which can you stand? Which are you most more comfortable with? And I, it would just drive me crazy that I didn't sell at 280 down to 200. I find that sometimes I would freeze. So for me, I'm better just taking 200, watching it go to 280. It is what it is. Uh, you know, I, I, I always say, I, I, you know, why should the stock stop going up just because I sold it? Um, it doesn't usually do that, but I find that three, six, nine months later, I'm usually like, oh, that turned out to be a pretty good sell. Yeah. So you have to you have to sit down and kind of evaluate yourself, so to speak, on on how what type of seller you want to be, because that's the hardest part. Right. So well said. Okay. Well, those are three great examples. Now let's go to today and not to first solar, although it has made a, a strong move, starting with an earnings report last summer that sparked another great move. And now this week it is uh, breaking below the 10 week decisively. So um, perhaps some, some lessons there, although the, the fundamentals with this one weren't uh, really like uh, they were 
in that early stage move. But I want to go over to, actually, maybe we'll stay on a weekly. Let's go to NVIDIA because we got a question from Stan saying, how do the characteristics of NVIDIA stack up with the model stocks that we talked about? You said, has the stock uh, made a prior move? Well, yes, this one has had several several big prior moves in the 2016-2017 the timeframe, and then, uh, you know, the 2019 to 2021 timeframe. And now it looks like it could make a move again. Scott, I mean, it is making a move. It's definitely outperforming the market. So what would be your answer to Stan? So technically, NVIDIA definitely stacks up, right? In relative strength. Uh, look at the number of blue weeks. Since it broke out of that cup, uh, it's easier for me to count the red weeks than the blue weeks. There's only been three red weeks yeah. out of uh, about a dozen. So you have that study accumulation that we talked about, like previously with Microsoft and Home Depot. Now you don't have the earnings and sales that you'd like. In fact, right now they're they're pretty poor for Nvidia, but the markets may be looking forward to the next quarter, which is in uh, about a month. And my guess is, now I don't know what the stock's gonna do on the earnings, but I would be shocked if those earnings and sales aren't really, really big because the market is anticipating uh, those numbers. Mm -hmm. um, so and it's got that, good estimates too for yeah. you know, 2025. We're, we're gonna start seeing some acceleration again with 41% uh, annual growth projected. So getting back into that growth mode potentially, that's what the expectation is. Yeah, and NVIDIA's a special company and it's on everybody's radar, big institutional sponsorship. So it, it, it could be one of those ones. I don't want to say it was easy, but it was easier two years ago when you had the look at the on the, the quarterly block, you had, you know, earnings up 189, 60, mm -hmm. 69, revenue up 84, 68, 50. And, you know, after the COVID uh, bear market low, you know, stock broke out around 60 and ran to uh, 314. So we could have easily picked NVIDIA. Uh, from 60 to 314, the same way we did Microsoft, the same way we did um, Home Depot, because right. it, it it was history rhyming, right? Mm -hmm. And it held holds the 40 weeks. Bear first, market yeah. holds the line, like, yeah. yeah. And it has big earnings and sales, product or service that's changing the way we work, live and play, institutional sponsorship. So it had all of that. Um, right now, the, the harder part is you don't have... Um, you know, those earnings and sales just yet. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll we'll keep an eye on it and see uh, see what the next earnings report is like, as you said, in a month and see if it can uh, form another base. If it can get to new highs as it forms a base, has that RS line at new highs and has the strong fundamentals again. Scott, uh, what do you think? Could it have a shot? For sure, yeah. So the, you you don't have to have look. These are the the best of the best. Yeah. With four, five, six quarters of earnings and sales before they break out, uh, you don't have. You could have just a single quarter would would be enough for me if I just had that single quarter, and um, an actionable buy point, whether it's you know some type of flat base or double bottom or something like First Solar did, like a shakeout. That would be ideal and if it doesn't if i don't get that then i'm gonna i don't own nvidia now and i'm I'm gonna miss it i'm just gonna miss it if it's mm -hmm. just stair steps higher but 
with the, the U.S. stock market, there's what seven thousand names in our database. <laughs> so they'll, you know, if, there'll be another one. Uh, there, there's always another one to come along. Yes, well said. Okay, so uh, we have a little bit of time left, and so three rapid-fire questions to get to. First, uh, Scott, let's go over to Apple. You mentioned how many times has Apple doubled in the past? So Steve is saying Apple has been a winner over the last decade plus. What do you see now? Is it one of the next big winners or has its run come to an end? So Apple is, has an, a problem with like economies of scale, right? So when Apple made its big move, it's the earnings and sales were there and the, the market cap was, you know, much, much smaller. So it doesn't mean that Apple can't go up and or that Apple has to go down. I, I just think Apple is Apple is the market. I mean, it's practically 25% of the NASDAQ and 15% of the S&P or some historically High large number. number. Yeah. Yes, historically large, like on the scale of AT&T in the 80s. And, and so, you know, if... It's a great company, and so I, I think if you want to own it, you're fine. But it, I, I think it's a it's a market um, perform. It's not going to outperform the market over long periods. Could it have brief times like uh, the 2020 breakout? It was outperforming the S and P, but since then, it's essentially matched the S and P's performance. I think if so. if the S and P you know goes up 10 percent, Apple's going to go up 13. If the S and P goes down ten percent, Apple's going to go down thirteen. You know, it's just yeah. maybe maybe something like that. So, it's like owning uh, the market. Uh, and if you're looking for bigger, like the next Google, the next Home Depot, the next Apple, it's probably going to be a company and/or a ticker that you're not quite familiar with yet. So you have to be flexible and imaginative that it's out there and you might not know that much about it at that time. How many people could even pronounce Nvidia? you know, 20, yeah. 10, 10 years ago. How many people still uh, say the company name wrong? NVIDIA. I, I it, maybe I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> exactly. No, you're saying it right. right? Okay. You're saying it right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's going to be something different like that, that you're, you're not quite aware of. And so that's why you have to, you know, do some work, dig in there, look for stocks exhibiting unusual relative strength, Look for stocks, you know, with big quarterly earnings and sales, and ideally look for stocks doing both, because that's right. that's the the better setup. You can okay. have stocks go up a lot without earnings and sales. It, it can happen. It's just you're mm -hmm. it's not you're 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 uh, swimming in a stream that's of less probabilities. You know why make it why make it hard for yourself? Exactly. Okay, so the next one I'm going to combine two questions here. So this is uh, in part from John, as well as from Joseph. So John is saying, uh, you know, how should we handle what has been the worst past year for equities potentially ever? But uh, is volatility here to stay? And is the long term buy and hold strategy defunct? Kind of, you know, on that note, Joseph is saying, are there any historical precedents for the market conditions we're seeing now where the market seems to be undecided and there are no clear trends of volatility, chop? It seems like, a, you know, it's a stock picker's market. Your thoughts, Scott? There there are um, historical precedents for the market that we're in. It's, you know, we, we've been on it 
if you look at like a monthly or even a weekly chart, it's been a tremendous run since 2009. And, um, you know, we had a mini bear market in 2016. And then the COVID bear market was was really sharp and, and, and it qualified as a nasty bear market in my view from a percentage time frame. But most people didn't even have a chance to open their 401k statements before the market was back to new highs. So I don't, I don't think that did the job of, of the, it's a, it, the market likes to, what you mentioned perfectly, it's gonna wear you out or scare you out. And, and uh, I think we're in the wear you out uh, timeframe. So I think the highs of the NASDAQ are in for a while and probably the lows are in for a while. And it just goes sideways in this large range and kind of wears people out. And so before it can kind of set up for the next leg higher. I don't know how long that goes on for. It's the, the, the good news is, you know, the market topped in November of 2021, if you use the NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. So what, what are we, a year, almost a year and a half into, um, I don't know if you want to call it a bear market. It's fine. It's all semantics. Call it what you want. But <laughs> it's, it's been a tough market for sure. Last year was mm -hmm. tough. You know, I think the oil stocks helped some people if they were looking for, for leadership. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the old leadership went down a lot. It's not an easy market. I, I, I agree. It's, it's concentrated in the big cap stocks, Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, et cetera. They, 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 are, they are doing a tremendous job of, of holding the indexes up. And the the breadth is is pretty poor. I don't know how it resolves itself. I I think it either the indexes are going to start to bring everything back, kicking and screaming, or 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 the 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 poor breadth will drag the indexes down. Finally, they'll just kind of cave from the pressure of you know, most stocks not participating. And, and um, so the bad news is I don't know, but the good news is I don't have to know. I'll just let the market tell me. So every day you just evaluate, you know, what, what's the market doing? How are the stocks acting? How are the stocks that you're in acting? How are the stocks that you wish you owned acting? Uh, that's, that's a big one. I watch, you know, stocks like Nvidia, you know, I don't own that. I, I wish I did. And so it just, doesn't want to go down. So, you know, you get these tiny little clues and it's a big puzzle and you kind of have to put the pieces together as best you can. Yes. I don't know. Uh, did I even answer the question, Allie? I think so, Scott. Okay. <laughs> uh, we, we've got to do the best we can, even when there's uncertainty out there. And, and what can we lean on? Rules. Instead of trying to guess, uh, trying to increase our probabilities of success with what we know has worked in the past and what we know we can do to protect our portfolios, to limit losses, to lock in gains. So that's what we just got to keep doing. And then uh, one day we truly will have the wind more at our backs and then yes. it will be a lot easier uh, to have even more success in the market but it's times like this that if we can you know really sharpen and refine ourselves and you know turn turn that sand into the pearl then we're really going to be set up for success uh when we do see um sunny skies and when it is smooth sailing yeah i know that there's there's periods where the market just doesn't do a whole lot and um you know if you're newer to this like in the last 
you know, 10, 10, 12 years or the last couple of years, you know, you've, you've been spoiled a little bit, especially the, the 2020 bull market was an anomaly. You know, I, I went through one in the 1999 ish area and I thought, well, that's the last one I'll ever go through. And then 2020 came, but (laughs) that was 20 years later. Right. So it, it, you get these kind of incredible anomalies once in a while, but mostly, you know, the market probably kind of, you know, sloshes around and, and that's why we gravitate towards trying to find these winners because as long as the market's not really bad, there's companies out there doing amazing things and generating incredible earnings and sales. And as long as in, in, if the market doesn't, you know, we might not have the tailwind you talked about, but as long as there's no headwind, I think you can you can find, identify, and make money in those stocks. Well, great words to end on. Thank you so much, Scott, and thanks everyone for tuning in to this Investors Business Daily installment of Barron's Live. It's all the time we have, but make sure you join the Barron's Live crew again on Monday, where Barron's Senior Managing Editor, Lauren Rublin, and Deputy Editor, Ben Levinson, will discuss the outlook for financial markets, industries, sectors, and individual stocks. So thanks so much for listening, everyone. We hope you have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.